again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Now, last week, I promised you some great content coming up, and we're delivering this week. I really enjoyed uh, doing this week's interviews, and I think that you will enjoy listening to them. Some different viewpoints from the industry. Of course, we have big sales season kicking off um, this coming week, Keeneland September yearling sale, and really excited to announce and share a new partnership between In the Ring, Pedigree Podcast, and the Keeneland Sales. Uh, we'll be able to be really covering those in some depth throughout the next couple of months. So I hope that you enjoy those new features that are in store as well. And uh, as for me, yes, I've been taking a little bit of time to relax, catch up and trying to plan a wedding as well, which is not exactly easy when you're in the middle of racing at Saratoga. So a few days off trying to catch up on things and starting next week, we'll be back and ready to roll as far as racing at Belmont Park kicking off too. So be able to cover some of that exciting action as well. But for now, hope you enjoy this week's show and get tied on for some exciting stuff on In the Ring. Very happy to be joined by my next guest to now, somebody who I've actually wanted to have on this show since I started it. So I'm really glad that we're finally getting to make this possible. Jamie Roth, the J in LNJ Foxwoods. And Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I want to ask you at the start, Jamie, a little bit about your story and the creation of LNJ Foxwoods because I had read, which I thought was so interesting too, how Rachel Alexandra was a really big inspiration to you in getting involved in the world of racing. Yeah, uh, I think without following Rachel, most likely I would not be participating in horse racing. Um as I am right now, I'd be, um, you know, just a fan that was watching racing on the big days, uh, Derby, Preakness, Belmont, not even probably the Breeders' Cup if um, I hadn't been following Rachel and loving her story, her passion, her will to win against the boys uh, resonated uh, with me. And that led me on the path of LNJ through meeting the right people at the right time. Uh, Alex Solis, I met him in Del Mar of 2008, um, sorry, 2012. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about racing, a business plan. And I said, I wanted to focus on the Phillies naturally because of Rachel. And he put together a plan rather quickly with uh, Jason Litt, and I say month later, it was the Keeneland sales, and we bought four horses. So that's the short version of the story. But if not for Rachel, I wouldn't be in horse racing. That's for sure. Well, tell me about having somebody like Alex Solis and, and Jason Litt as well um, that, that you're able to trust and be able to go to the sales and make a plan together and, and be able to have that relationship. It's it's the key to everything. I will con constantly say that our biggest win was meeting Alex and Jason more than any win on the track, because without the trust and the loyalty and someone to steer you in the right direction in a sport that is, it's not always so straightforward. <laughs> it's important to have that trust and loyalty and 
it's the, it's the key to everything. It lays the foundation for the future. So for us, they were, they've all, you know, they, they are business to us, but family more than anything. We've cultivated just a wonderful family-like relationship with them that is really, really precious to my family. Well, you mentioned that you'd be a fan, but maybe not even paying attention to the Breeders' Cup. Now, being involved, you've you've won a Breeders' Cup race. And, and looking back on Kofefe, who was just amazing. And I think that she really captured so many hearts and fans along the way. Tell me what it's like to be involved with a horse like that that got such a following as well. <laughs> it's so hard to put it into words how amazing she was on the track and, you know, is now as a as a mom but Mm -hmm. her her following it meant so much to me to have fans involved and wanting to hear about her and wanting to see pictures and send them hats and t-shirts because that is very similar to how i got into sport following one particular horse that i loved so much i didn't miss a race i wanted i think it was the start kind of of me being on twitter then Um, and just following stories about her. So it felt similar to me on the, on the other end of it as an owner. And that's why I wanted to share her story with as many people, because I did think she was someone politics aside, whether you were one way or another, that could really bring more people Mm -hmm. into the sport. And I, I hope she did. Uh, she was a tremendous talent from, a very well-bred family and she just for me every time she ran she gave me the chills that she could do something even more special than the race before and uh, I think what she did in the Breeders' Cup you know being a three-year-old against olders in the one post um, it it was just one of the best days of my life. Mm -hmm. She started out so exciting too winning breaking her maiden in September at Churchill by over nine lengths when you have a two-year-old filly or or any sort of young horse with that kind of promise what's that feeling like as an owner and as you start to really dream big at that that moment (laughs) it's uh knocking on wood every day (laughs) uh so for us we we knew she was pretty special as uh, a yearling into uh, her two-year-old year when she mm-hmm. was in Florida with the McCathen brothers. Uh, the original plan was to put her in a two-year-old sale, but they mm-hmm. sat down with us and said, here's the deal. <laughs> if she performs on the racetrack I, in the, at the two-year-old sale, the way we hope and think she will, she's going to, she could top the sale, but just be okay with, you know, her being in a, in other hands and, winning a grade one. I mean, that's how much they loved and loved her to talk already about a grade one. And since we're a breeding operation and we knew we'd keep her at the end of the day, anyways, we just said, no, we're, we're going to keep her in our hands. So we scratched her from the sale and the promise that the McCaffin brothers had seen in Florida, um, continued on with Brad Cox and, she actually had a few setbacks in the beginning, didn't run right. And she didn't run until kind of actually around Keeneland time, because I remember it was actually a year from when we had bought her. And so, I mean, in this day and age, I guess that's considered a little late into her career, which mm-hmm. is bonkers to me because she's only two. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah, I we we flew to Churchill with a with the hope that she would put in a great performance, but you never you never know that you're gonna get a performance like she you know, like she put on at Churchill. As she was purchased at the Keeneland September yearling sale in 2017 uh, for 250000 I'm sure. Opting to cho- to keep her, um, such a wise decision in the long run. Do you remember what it was about her at the yearling sale that had caught the attention of everyone? Um, you know, it was later on in the sale, and Jason mm-hmm. has always loved that family. Same with Alex, but it, she was a little on the smaller side, which is why I think her price stayed within that range and Mm -hmm. not a little bit more, but I I know they loved her balance and the hope was just that she would get uh, not stronger because she was always strong, but just a little bit bigger. Uh, She grew. I mean, Kefefe wasn't a huge horse, but I don't, I don't think she needed to be, you know, her balance was there. Her natural ability was there, but that's what they really loved the family and um, just her balance and strength. Yeah, I love that that strength that into mischief seems to pass on to the Phillies. Like they're so broad, they're so durable too. And and she really had that. She was just so dominant on the track. And um, now, as you mentioned, she's a mom. Yeah. Uh, I saw a photo you had posted of a painting where her baby is her absolute twin. How exciting is that? I mean, <laughs> we were we knew she was having a filly before you know we had told anyone. So we were over the moon from the very beginning. But <clears throat> as you know, in any aspect of the sport, you're just holding your breath because mm-hmm. no pregnancy is <clears throat> is easy, and you know it's hard to interfere. And I, you just you you're in the back of your head, you're just worrying and worrying. So just uh, her having a healthy filly was the most important. But then watching her stand up and <laughs> take her first steps. Mm-hmm and see how similar she is to mom was it was pretty awesome and obviously mom taking well to her was so important and mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's always a worry when you see the the determination the passion and everything they put into the track just hoping that they can give that to their their children as well which she did and she was bred to constitution uh, she's bred to tap it to tap it that's yeah. right mm-hmm to tap it. So pretty exciting to see that new uh, new baby. We'll get to see hopefully on the track one day soon. And tell me a little bit going back about her name as well. Uh, of course, an infamous tweet. And I, I just think that was part of capturing the attention that she did on the racetrack too. And I believe I heard you say that you have a few other tweet names reserved for her offspring. I started that way to <laughs> to reserve names that were, you know, coming out of the same <laughs> mouth or you know computer. But it as as time went by, I, I decided she she deserves a better name than uh, just a a tweet or something mm-hmm. like that. So we have we have better names on reserve for her than something that was tweeted out or said. I mean, it's funny at the moment, but then I think to myself, wow, uh, she's the daughter of a, a, a Breeders' Cup champ. I'm, I'm just going to give her a different kind of name. 
But you have been, you, I think you have so much talent in naming horses. There have been so many great ones um, for Alan Jay. What kind of is some of the process of picking out names? Do do people, you know, all throughout your your group, you, I know your parents involved. Does everybody have to kind of okay it, or do you say you get to name this one, you get to name that one? How does it work? No, they don't get to name any. <laughs> I think my mom has actually she named one of the she came up with one of the best names which was dog tag uh, that's great yeah I love that one a great name but for the most part uh I come up with the names I send them to the group the LNJ group and it's pretty much okay you it's okay you're the, na- you're the names keeper you're the keeper of the names whatever you want goes but for the most part then the names always make sense and I like to think they're great names. So it's it's basically me. So looking, there's always the future to look ahead to, right? Now this year you had an exciting two-year-old filly who we saw um, down in Florida, winning in the Florida Sire Stakes yeah. in Outfoxed. Um, tell me a little bit about that and how exciting it is to, to have another young horse doing well on the grounds. Yeah. Uh, well, we liked her, which is why we named her Outfoxed. Uh, mm-hmm. We wanted to put a fox in, in the name, which we don't do often. Um, she's, you know, from a relatively unknown sire to most in Valiant Minister, um, I'm pretty sure he only ran once in California, mm-hmm. but ran great and can't remember. It may have been Al- actually Alex's dad that was on him and mm-hmm. thought he was just one of the best horses he's been on. But then on, as we know in the game, you don't always, the horses don't continue on. So I think... That was maybe risky to some, a freshman sire, but she's just she's a beautiful filly, performed well at the sale, and uh, we're, we're very excited. Uh, I thought her first race at Saratoga was actually deceptively good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think anytime you, you can put in a good effort at Saratoga against two-year-olds where the best horses are running in the country is, is always a good stepping stone. We were confident going into Florida that her class would prevail, but I don't think any of us thought she would win quite like that. <clears throat> Especially when I saw her, when, when she wouldn't get in the gate, I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> we shipped her all the way to Florida and they're going to scratch her at the gate. That, that was my thoughts. I, I you could have mm-hmm. saw my face. I'm like, uh, <laughs> but she got in and she, you know, she's, I like that. She's, she's not so headstrong that she can find her way uh, to settle. It seems seems that she can handle adversity and she's very exciting. Uh, she'll head, she'll, you know, run at the end of the month in the next, uh, Florida, uh, mm-hmm. bread race. And hopefully, hopefully we'll get a, uh, a somewhat similar performance, but hopefully just a win. And, you know, if she can, uh, do something special again, then of course you'd have to start thinking, um, along the lines of Breeders' Cup, but she'd have to sure. do something special like that again. Uh, she did in her debut have to face the eventual spinaway winner in Echo Zulu too, and um, certainly proved herself down in those Florida Sire Stakes. But you mentioned the stallion Valiant Minister who had run once in California, and I know that you are now an East Coaster, um, but but tell me a little bit about your your feelings for California racing, your loyalty to California racing, just overall, and kind of how that that shaped you and your start here in the industry. So it's funny that you say that because if I'm ever talking to someone in the sport who I'm meeting for the first time, they immediately think 
that I live in California because <laughs> we race so much in California. Mm-hmm. California became our primary spot because Alex lived in Florida, in Pasadena. And as newcomers in the game, we felt it was really important to have someone at the track who could be hands-on. Of course, he's close with Mandela. So just being able to get more information than you may sometimes get without bothering, you know, your trainer by having that kind of in-between person was important to us. Um, not just to know if they have ability or, or no ability, but just to know that they're sound and, mm-hmm. and doing well and all that. So that's how California started. But you, you know better than anyone that some horses are suited for California, some sure. are suited for the East Coast, some mm-hmm. are, you know, suited for mid-Atlantic. I mean, depending on talent, depending on pedigree. So we kind of had to transition a little bit from just being in California because you have to put your horses in a, their best place to succeed. Um, and so we started to do that. And I love California. I'm biased to Santa Anita. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had tremendous success there, Breeders' Cup. Yeah. But I mean, there, I'm being honest, right? There is some worry with California and just filling races and um, downgrading of races. So I I hope that things change a little bit there as, as uh, owners that have a lot of horses there, but you know, it's definitely, I I think it's out there and I hope that we can make some changes. But California, yeah. you know, it means a lot and it's been good to us. So I know your sentiment shared by so many yeah. too, and um, hoping that we will see some of those changes in the positive direction. Yeah. Um, but wanted to ask you to kind of circle back a little bit as we were talking about Kofefe at the sales and mm-hmm. you had mentioned knowing that you're a breeding operation and that at the end of her career being a filly, you right. would keep her to breed her. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and, and kind of the mindset that goes into that and knowing down the line that this would be a horse to add to a broodmare band that LNJ has grown such a tremendous broodmare band over the past several years. So really when I came up with the business plan or Alex came up with the business plan, <laughs> it was to buy four well-bred fillies. Uh, 2012 was, you know, the market was still down. So there was an opportunity to maybe steal some pedigrees that a year later would have already been, I don't know, hundreds of thousands more. So we, mm-hmm. we got in at a, at a, at an opportune time, but the plan was to buy these well-bred fillies, not Colts, so that you had something to fall back on because there is so much money involved. And if they don't run, which I always say, and I think a lot of people forget this sometimes because either they've already bought well-established horses and they know the talent's there, but most horses aren't good. I mean, I most horses yeah. don't have uh, that ability that we all hope they have. So having the pedigree to fall back on to breed was was our biggest, um, it was what we were looking for. And we wanted to build a small, a small broodmare band. In fact, racing was never our number one priority. My dad just fell in love with racing. And then we 
just <laughs> dove in right quickly and um the racing became very fun for my family but it's always been about a broodmare band so we continue to try to find families right now that we may not have so that we can you know get into these families like a gold round that we picked up in france in 2012 um a mm -hmm. sister to Goldakova, just kind of plucking out those families that we don't have and adding them to our band is kind of what we're doing now because you know we have the families that we're comfortable with and that we know and i mean that's that's you know that's that's what we're hoping to get to a point where we don't need to buy horses anymore because what we're breeding is better mm -hmm. than say what you can uh, buy at a sale but of course you still find horses at sales that are standouts and may fit your program in, in a different way. So that's kind of where we stand right now, uh, cultivating our broodmare band, but adding horses to our stable that necessary, that won't necessarily stay as broodmares, but are athletes mm -hmm. and can have fun with them, but then, you know, maybe put them in a cell later on, like a constitution, a nickname. I mean, both grade one winners for us, but uh, horses that we thought maybe wouldn't fit our broomare band, mm -hmm. but yeah, so. I love hearing about that side of it as well, but you did have some success uh, with, with some cults as well. I know mm -hmm. Country House, after he uh, broke his maiden, you all bought in and um, we saw him getting to the winter circle, albeit a different route uh, of the Kentucky Derby. But what was that journey like with a horse like that and uh, kind of expanding in some, some different ways versus the original business model you had planned? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we never planned to get involved with Colts. It's just so risky. Mm -hmm. And you, unlike broodmares, I mean, it goes from a lot of money to zero very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't, I think uh, Country House was probably one of our first private purchases. We were friends with uh, Lisa and Guinness McFadden, and the relationship just seemed a good fit. Um, we got along with them great. Uh, Alex will work for them sometimes, and he brought the idea to us. And we said, yeah, like, why not just try to have fun on this journey? Never expecting, <laughs> you know, to have, <laughs> to have what happened. but. Um, he was a hard knocking horse the whole time leading up to the Derby. Mm -hmm. If you watched his races, you would see that he wasn't able to put himself always in the best spot. He was his own worst enemy, but you could tell the long, he needed longer. And, um, Bill took a chance, right? Putting him in that race. Mm -hmm. he, obviously we know what his odds were. I actually told all my friends to bet him and I'm not <laughs> saying it now that he won, but I felt that he was the kind of horse with his pedigree that mm -hmm. would need to go longer. And he was very experienced. You know, he, I was talking about this yesterday with Alex, he was eligible for first condition allowance. Mm -hmm. And we're usually very conservative with conservative with our horses, let them develop, you know, maybe sometimes we'll go to a listed stake instead of a grade three, you know, giving them the best opportunity, maybe later on in their lives to aim for that big race. But this was a cult. It was different. We owned him in partnership and Bill wanted to go and mm -hmm. we all know what happened, but yeah, it was a different experience. It's always different owning horses, uh, with, um, you know, partners mm -hmm. and being a cult. It was more of just a fun ride and, 
I mean, <laughs> I could have never imagined his story. <laughs> what I think is so great is that his story continues to evolve. I mean, there's yes. always something that happens and I'm like, well, story continues, continues on. And um, I'm hoping that he will, you know, he's going to be given the opportunity to uh, hopefully um, make it as a stallion um, at some, at some level. But if uh, being a stallion has anything to do with uh, heart and determination, well, then he has everything for that because he's been through a lot. Yeah. And just looking back to to close, when you first were watching Rachel Alexandra and said, you know, why don't we take a stab at this and get involved a little bit? Did you ever anticipate that you would end up where you are here? And I guess the follow-up question to that is, what do you still want to accomplish in the world of horse racing? I could have never imagined I would be where I am. When people ask me how many horses do you have, I, uh, I'm, it blows my mind because <laughs> it was supposed to start off with just four horses uh, to breed out of, like we talked about, uh, not so much to race. And now it's become, I think, equally a racing operation as a breeding operation. So no, I could never have imagined it. Um, but I'm having the best time and it's hard, mm -hmm. the highs and lows. I've been there for all of it, but it's so much fun and I'm so happy to have found that Rachel a little bit. Of, you know, I say Kefefe's my Rachel, um, but the people I've met in the game mm -hmm. um, that I never would have met if I wasn't in, in racing is really also just absolutely fantastic. Um, just really great people in this industry, as you know. Um, in terms of what I want to accomplish, I mean, I can't forget that things we've accomplished are are so are, are just things that people aim for their whole their whole career and they don't you know they don't I don't know how to say it in the right way but they're you know they haven't accomplished that and right. and I realize that and I'm humbled by it but if I I would love to you know win a grade 1 with a homebred I mean really all our grade 1s have been not homebred. So that would, that would be my goal is to win a grade one with a homebred and yeah. And then maybe to win the Derby in a different kind of way. <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> well, I have absolutely no doubt that we are going to see some very successful and uh, grade one winning L and J homebreds out on the track. Jamie, it's been so much fun getting to pick your brain a little bit. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Of course. And thanks for having me. I appreciate, you know, telling my story a little bit. Very happy to welcome in now Cormac Brannock, who is the new Director of Sales Operations at Keeneland. Cormac, thank you so much for joining me today and congratulations on the new position as well. Thanks very much, Acacia. It's, uh, it's exciting and, and uh, thanks for having me on your show. Well, you bring a lot of experience to the role, um, starting with Keeneland now and your first kind of major sale coming up with the Keeneland September yearling sale starting coming up on Monday, September 13th. Uh, tell me a little bit, uh, the feelings, the excitement as we get into this September yearling sale. It's the anticipation is kind of mm -hmm. palpable at this point. You know, we, every, there's so much preparation that goes into something like this. And this is, like you said, my first time through along with Tony Lacey, the VP of sales. And you know how the sale works out on the back end from all, all the years, you know, Tony and I and others have spent on, on the consigning side and on the buying side. But 
after so much preparation goes in, you just kind of can't wait for it to start. So today was that first day when um, I got out to the barns, got to speak to some consigners close to the uh, to the pavilion there and just got some impressions and feedback from them. And the energy is is fantastic and the horses look great. The place is busy. It's, you know, it's really exciting. We're just, you know, roll on Monday. Yeah, really excited to see what the sale has to offer. And it seems like there's been so much anticipation for the sale season in general this year, given all of the ups and downs of 2020 and all of the rescheduling of sales last year. Have you kind of felt that as well as we get ready for some of uh, already, I guess we should say we're in the midst of yearling sale season, but especially in the fall, all of the big things still to come for Keeneland? Yeah, um, you know, it's really kind of coming to a head all of the you know there's a lot of liquidity out there there are a lot of positives in racing right now with the the record handled saratoga over 800 million dollars is incredible um you know in large part due to well people like you and the fox sports show and, and all the exposure that racing is getting and um you know purses are going up in several jurisdictions and several race tracks and uh, we just announced uh today uh two race two races for two-year-olds that are graduates of this year's September sale. So next year at Kentucky Downs, uh, allowance races for two-year-olds that come out of this sale, whether they actually sell in the ring or RNA, um, they can run for $250,000 purse. Um, so one Colt, uh, race for Colts and one uh, race for the Phillies next year at Kentucky Downs. So there are just a lot of opportunities for people to enjoy the sport, win at high level and, and make it pay. And, um, you know, with the liquidity, like I said, that's that's in the world and some people that are still trying to get back to, you know, some normality and, and enjoy life. Um, this is, you know, it, it's a great vibe going into a horse sale like this. The September yearling sale, always a massive sale, always full of top quality as well. September 13th through the 24th. Um, I know it's hard, I'm sure to give a preview of the entire sale like that, but just as an overall, what are some of the things that we can expect from this sale coming up? Um, looking first, I guess, at, at book one and, and book two, we have 1,100 horses that are essentially going to be on the grounds at the same time or, or give or take a day um, for book one and book two. And uh, the updates have been phenomenal coming into the sale. You know, this year so far through Labor Day, graduates of Keenan September have won 34 group or grade one races worldwide. And then just even last weekend, you know, Echo Zulu and Pinehurst just dominated in grade one, two-year-old races. They both came out of the sale last year. Um, you know, other horses that have come through, Gamin, Malathat, Nick's Go, you know, it's a, it's a Jackie's Warrior. It's a list to behold. Um, so for the catalog we have this year, you know, just last weekend, we had some massive updates. Uh, we have a um, we have a full sister to Gunite, the hopeful winner that's going to sell. We have a half um, brother to Yopan by Good Magic. We have um, a half sister by American Pharaoh to Echo Zulu. And a half brother to uh, Grace Adler by by Into Mischief. So these are all just the most current of Grade One winners who are going to be on the pages for some of the better yearlings in the book already. And so these updates just kind of create a create a lot more energy. So the front end of the sale looks extremely strong. Um, you know we have a, a five supplemental entries that uh, came to us late. Two will sell at the end of the Monday session. Three on Tuesday. You know, a couple of those are Medaglia Doro half to uh, to Dreyfong. We've got a Justify Philly that's a half to Nick's go. So it's it's really pretty stacked. Um, we feel honestly just as strong about or just as good about the, the quality of the catalog through the end. Um, last year, 
Keenan September. So before my time here, the second week of the sale, despite COVID and everything else was really vibrant. And I was on the selling end then and witnessed it firsthand. We have again, a very strong catalog that doesn't tail off like maybe it has in some years in the past. You know, we, we have a finish in book five um, and we're really expecting a lot of, a lot of activity, a lot of buyer base to be here through the second week, just like they were last year. So it's, uh, you know, it's encouraging. We'll just have to see, can't wait to, can't wait to see how it unfolds. And you kind of touched on it as the sale progresses, obviously book one, book two, you, you're immediately expecting to see those high quality, maybe higher priced ones as well. Um, even for example, just looking through the catalog myself, I mean, hip number two is by Galileo out of I'm a chatterbox, you know, right off the bat, it starts like that. But throughout the the different sessions that are available, it really does seem like there is something for every kind of buyer or seller. There, there is. And, and really quickly on I'm a chatterbox, I actually was talking to Carolyn and Fletcher Gray for a while, about two hours ago. And, um, you know, saw the filly. She's an absolutely gorgeous, you know, leggy, scopey um, chestnut filly by Galileo out of one of the great race mares of the last 10 years. And so this is this is a big deal for them. You know, they don't typically have these kind of offerings. And, uh, you know, they drew they drew hip two, which is not a, everybody's idea of the ideal spot, but they're on phase you know they they love the filly. She's going down very well, and hopefully she can give us a you know a big rip roar and start to the to the sale itself. But uh, you know deeper in the sale, this has been you know for many years kind of the bellwether sale for the industry. It's the sale that sort of sets the tone because of the critical mass of horses that's on offer, and the international buyer base. And so the the destinations for these horses. I mean these American bred horses, and so many of them here go all over the world and, and make an impact on stud books in every racing nation. You know, the speed of the American dirt horse is a key ingredient around the world when people try to develop the thoroughbred in their own zip code. And so there is a horse for everybody here. And, you know, part of the, the good stories from these sales are, are the diamonds in the rough that get found in books three, four, five, and, and six, if we had it. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of why people stay in town. It's a, it's a grind to look at, you know, 400 horses on offer every day for this year basically for 11 days it's um it's it's a, a marathon but uh, it's it's really worth the work and and people who stick around and put in the legwork usually come up with with some good ones you mentioned the impact internationally that we've seen keeneland sales have as well how important do you think that is and maybe the marketability of some of these horses to travel to europe or for european buyers coming here to see what american bloodstock has to offer yeah, it's a great point. And it, in a way, it might be one of Keeneland's greatest strengths is that buyer base um, in the last, you know, it sort of gotten more popular in the last five or 10 years, but particularly some Irish pin hookers have come over here, mm-hmm. bought horses often relatively inexpensively, and then topped breeze up sales over in Europe with those American breads mm-hmm. and, you know, breezing on turf and everything else. So they've, they really know what they're looking for um, with COVID restrictions and, and things are, Virtually all of them are going to be back again this year. There are a few people who, who struggle to get uh, get entries back to the States, but um, hopefully they'll be able to be participating from uh, from afar. But, you know, that's that international market is critical. Um, I've heard from several people just today that um, the Japanese participation seems to be very high relative to the last few years. And that's obviously a great sign for the for the state of the of the sale coming up. And so. Um, it's 
with so many horses on offer again, you know, it's, it's a sale that people can't afford to miss. And so we'll, uh, we'll do our best to make it better and better as we go. And, and a new role for you coming up this week with this sale, but you're no stranger to being around the sales as you've mentioned a couple of times you've, you've had experience with two tremendous farms in Airdrie and Adina. Tell me a little bit about that background and what are some of the things that you plan to take from those positions into this new role? Yeah, it's funny. I was telling somebody the the other day that my first Keeneland September experience was in 1995 as a groom and, and show person. And so I've been at every September sale since then. And so I'm not sure if it's 26 or 27 years, I'm sounding old, but, um, you know, it's, it's really exciting and it's somewhat daunting, you know, and a big responsibility to be on this side of the, of the operation and try to make it work as smoothly as possible for as many people as possible. But the experience that I had, particularly from consigning, I was 12 or 13 sales seasons with those two farms and the last four or five with Airdrie, you know, you, you get to know basically all of the buyers and not just the buyers, but the shortlisters, you know, the barns, you know, the, the show areas, you know, how many hips you have to be in the back ring, you know, all of the little details that go into making your own consignment flow and trying to get the best exposure for your horses. And so that's the mindset that both Tony and I come with into this role we're really our experiences as sellers for the most part and, and buying some as well but it's hopefully it's it sets us up to you know not that much meaningful change needs to be made but that the tweaks that we offer will be beneficial to people and you know the team here at Keeneland is uh is pretty remarkable that's you know it's been incredible to step in and just see how many people do so many things and and so efficiently so you know, the support staff and everything else is, is all built in. Um, but, you know, back to previous experience, I remember having uh, three barns full of book six yearlings one year with the Dean of Springs in 2010 when the market was was down after the 2008 crisis. And uh, kind of know what it's like to walk all these yearlings down from the hill and back up again and, and have, you know, a pretty rough day of the sale. So you don't forget those kind of things. And, and our mission will be to try to minimize that going forward. At Airdrie, you were the director of stallion nominations and, and involved in, in some stallions that have done quite well. What kind of experience is that as far as being so tuned into these particular stallions? How much do you think that really carries over now being involved with Keeneland and obviously stallion power is such a big part of it for potential buyers? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Kind of, I guess, a kind of complicated one to, mm. to process because you get tunnel vision for the sires you represent sure. and you really get associated with them. I mean, there's the, the greatest joy in that role is watching those horses succeed or the breeders who, who supported them with their mares and, and then see them sell you know, a year or two later and so on. Um, in this role, you just have to be objective. And so it is kind of strange to you, you've got to take that hat off and, and put on the Keeneland hat and and operate the sale the best way for the sale. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to to kind of go through that thought process because, you know, a lot. I mean, in my first year here, I mean, some of the yearlings that are selling were ones that I was involved with in terms of breeding contracts and recruiting mares back then. And so, you know, it, it's it's not that it's hard to balance it, but you just have to work in a different manner from from this side of the desk. 
And relationships, though, in horse racing are so important as well. I mean, being uh, aware of what different breeders, I guess, are bringing to the table. I'm sure that's a large piece of it as well. And no matter what piece of the industry you're involved in, in those that really put so much into the sport from that side of it. Yeah, um, that that relationship part is is key. And again, it's in a way that part hasn't changed a whole lot I'm, I'm still dealing with a lot of the same people in a lot of the same ways you know we're trying to make the best whether it's the, the best mating or the best barn placement or book placement for their horse so um it's it's a fun continuation of that and, and it really is that's the cent at the center of the whole thing the people in this industry are some of the best people i've ever met and you know everybody that's in this industry is is all in you know they're they're up at night foaling they're you know shipping their own horses into the sale grounds. They're mucking the stalls when they get home. It's a 24 seven job. And uh, hopefully we'll have a lot of happy stories coming out of the sale where, where some of those people have, you know, made it big because this is payday for a lot of those friends, be they former employees or colleagues or, or close friends at this point. And, uh, you know, it's again, a huge responsibility that I know Tony feels as well when we're uh, representing Keeneland and trying to make it the best it can be. I love that you mentioned that your first time uh, at the sale was at a, as a groom. Um, you also have a background in the science end of things with a PhD in veterinary science. All of those pieces that we've kind of talked about was being in this position, director of sales at Keeneland or, or with any major sales company, really, was that really kind of something that you always wanted to be a part of? I never imagined it, to be honest. Um, it did come out of the blue. Um, when Tony became VP of sales, I was thrilled for him. He's, he's been a good friend for a long time and somebody I have just the highest respect for. And he called me after a couple of months in the role here and asked me if I'd be interested in coming over. And uh, it totally blindsided me. And mm -hmm. I actually spent about an hour on the phone with him that evening, just peppering him with questions. And when I hung up, I thought I better call him back and tell him I'm interested. So it was, you know, it was just a an out of the blue um experience that way but it's you know something i feel is a great fit and again with shannon arvin who's the new president and ceo since last year here at keeneland um, with tony as vp of sales with gatewood bell in as vp of racing and several other people here who are just as motivated and talented as they can be it's it couldn't be a better time to get on board yeah, the team you mentioned is an incredible group of people and some that are new kind of in those positions with calling Keeneland home. What are some of the goals that you or as the team are, are hoping to focus on as we kind of get into the major part of the Keeneland sales season? Of course, September and November sales coming up next. Yeah, we're, I mean, some some things, some things have just been, It's it is what it is for a reason. You know, the mm -hmm. people like Jeffrey Russell, have done so many good things for a long time. Jeffrey had this role of director of sales operations for about 25 years, and he's he's made it what it is. Um, so, and he's been extremely helpful. He's retiring at the end of the year, but we're in daily communication. He's here every day. He's you know the best soundboard and assist you know assisting in all of these different details and lending his experience that he can be. Um, but you know, we're our goals, I guess, going forward are to try at least in the september situation to create a consistent format it's you know we've tried this is probably the seventh different format in in the last 11 years of trying to get the best mix of the book one and two mm -hmm. eligible horses and trying to keep people happy in their placements and in their barns um so we would like 
ideally to be able to establish a format that sticks and that's kind of in process now so our eye is on the ball there um after that it's you know we're we're really just trying to um this year we're, we made a tweak to the end of the sale where we combined the final two sessions to make one longer day so it's more of a critical mass of horses instead of what might have been two short sessions that end about one or two p.m we'll hopefully have a full day of selling to really kind of round out the sale with more momentum and, and more energy and more people on the grounds so these are all of the, the sort of tweaks and, and steps that we're trying to take towards our goals and and we're we're not going to make wholesale changes that they don't need to be made but we're we're trying to be more relatable um be more communicative we've worked very closely with the cba which is the consigners and breeders association which is sort of the unifying voice of the various consigners and their concerns we've made a change to the repository where vets are going to disclose their client information at the time of viewing um the video scopes that consigners and breeders provide at their own cost just to give them some more feedback as to what's going on in the vetting side um so Really, you know, it's going to be small tweaks and and uh, and changes as we go. Well, I'm excited to see what this team uh, does do, and, and and very excited to see the September yearling sale unfold. Then, of course, you have the race meet coming up in October, and I just want to uh, round out by asking. How excited are you to be able to be part uh, of this new wave of Keeneland sales and then to get to follow those graduates onto some of the biggest stages in the world as far as horse racing is concerned? It's yeah, it's really phenomenal. Um, I'm looking forward. I mean, I'm going to love every day of the sale here first and, and make it the best you know that we can. But I'm looking forward to the race meeting and seeing people without as much work on the mind and more of the result of the sport and, and watching you know, watching the celebrations from from graduates of everywhere here at our own racetrack. So, it you know, it's a, it's a phenomenal opportunity. I could not be more grateful. Um, we're just putting our heads down and, and going to work and enjoying it while we do. Well, Cormac, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, I'm wishing you all the best with the sale coming up and um, can't wait to see the, all of the exciting results. And, and thank you so much again. Thanks, Acacia. And that will do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. A tremendous thank you to my two guests today, Jamie Roth and Cormac Brannick. I hope that you enjoyed listening to their interviews as much as I enjoyed speaking to these two individuals. Great for the game as well and uh, very inspirational too. We have a new segment on In the Ring. It's called The Keeneland Roundup, Everything That You Might Have Missed or Need to Know. The Keeneland September yearling sale begins on Monday, September 13th. You'll definitely want to follow it. Book one will feature some of the best yearlings in the world, and that takes place Monday and Tuesday, so September 13th and 14th. The Keeneland Fall Racing Meet is not far behind. That begins on October 8th, so you'll have all of that great, exciting racing action to look forward to as well. The Keeneland November sale begins on Wednesday, November 10th, and that includes a new Horses of Racing Age portion at the conclusion of the sale. That's the Keeneland Roundup on In the Ring. A tremendous thank you to our friends at Keeneland for all of the support and wishing all the best with the start of that Keeneland September yearling sale. As always, if you have any suggestions or things that you're interested in, please message me and please feel free to share this episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. And until then, I'll see you next time.